MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 40 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. Today is Wednesday, October 20th, and Andrew is traveling abroad. So joining me today is the intrepid Morgan Stringer. Hello, Morgan. Hello. Lots going on today in the courts, and we'll be covering the latest response from the Department of Justice and the ongoing battle against the Texas abortion ban. We also have a preliminary report from Biden's commission on SCOTUS reform. And AG, we have some other cleanup business to address, correct? Yes, that's right. We have very big news out of the Department of Homeland Security and how Biden is redefining the role of ICE. And of course, we have some comings and goings, one in particular, uh, including also, though, two people have resigned from Biden's SCOTUS Reform Council. (laughs) So there's that. So lots to get to. But first, let's welcome new patrons to clean up. Yeah, uh, I have. Let's see here. Our new patrons this week include Anthony Schmidt. Uh, there's one called The Court of Owls is Less Evil and Problematic Than the Roberts Court. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. We have, <laughs> totally. We have Joe Johnson, and then we have uh, Sakis F. the Miatis. So thank you very much uh, for supporting the show. We really appreciate you. Um, and if you want these episodes ad-free, you want access to our private hangouts for as little as a dollar an episode, you could sign up at patreon.com slash aisle45pod. That's A-I-S-L-E 4-5-P-O-D. You really do make this show possible, so thank you so much. And with that, let's kick off the A Block with the Supreme Court. All right. So Biden appointed a Supreme Court commission to look at Supreme Court reforms. This was a bipartisan commission that was assembled nearly five months ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, uh, Andrew and I talked a little bit about the folks who were appointed to it on a previous episode. And a draft of the report came out Thursday, and two conservative members of the commission resigned on Friday. Uh, This was University of Virginia law professor Caleb Nelson, former clerk of Clarence Thomas, and Harvard law professor Jack Goldsmith, former top DOJ guy from the Office of Legal Counsel under GW. Yes, I'm sure they both are absolute gems, but um, no explanation has been given for why the two members resigned. It is weird given that the draft is already out and then they suddenly resigned, unless they may want to adjust the tone of that memo in the final report, which we'll discuss um, what the draft says in more detail. But And maybe the conservative members just walked out regarding that. They maybe wanted to make some changes that they weren't happy with. Yeah. And I thought this report was pretty friggin conservative. Let's talk about the criticism, at least, that we've seen from the report or about the report. So first of all, Jennifer Rubin published an op-ed in the Washington Post and says that, quote, the commission's analysis regarding term limits is encouraging, but its preliminary work should leave its readers pessimistic about any real reform. 
And Southpaw on Twitter probably put my feelings best after I read the report. <laughs> Man, <laughs> this is atrocious. Steve Maisie of The Economist also summed up the report's findings as that basically that they found that a balanced court is one, overrated, and two, may reinforce the notion that the justices are partisan actors. Like you need that reinforcement. <laughs> Yeah, so the report is, yeah, it's so disappointing. But let's talk about the part that made me just start screaming, um, which is the court expansion. Yes, yes. Advocates have long been calling on the court uh, to expand or two people, you know, calling for people to expand the court in light of Trump stealing a Supreme Court justice seat. Uh, Two, you know, if you count what Mitch did. This has led to these skewed decisions on things like SB8 and rollback of separation between church and state and other right wing decisions, the shadow docket, etc. So the report gives all this evidence to say the court can be expanded, but then seem to spend a lot of time cautioning against it. That is exactly what went on here. So the report even says, yes, the GOP did block Obama's pick, but the GOP can at least defend it by saying that the Senate determines it. And they had the majority then, and then they still had the majority when Trump was president. So Senate decides. To which I again say, so then responding to that is partisan, not what the GOP just did there. Yeah, and it's weird because because one part of the report says that expansion efforts, especially if done all at once, would be perceived with divided opinion and the public may begin to see SCOTUS. <laughs> Sorry, I can't say this without laughing. The public may begin to see SCOTUS as a political pawn. <laughs> really? May begin? Uh, it says uh, parties would more be more incentivized to block justice nominees and indeed a future Senate could respond to expansion by refusing to confirm any nominee. But the Senate already did that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that. A future Senate. I'm like, tell me more about this future Senate. I believe we have a past one that did that. So yeah, I just started screaming at this point as I was reading this. We have seen that the GOP will literally make up any reason to not approve or to approve a justice nominee. I know last week you talked about how Ted Cruz just is like, no, anybody that Biden likes, no. So why are we pretending like everything the GOP does is like some revenge thing, some to quote the iconic Taylor Swift, uh, ooh, look what you made me do type situation. <laughs> However, the report does go on to say that expansion is justified and even based, give evidence that it's a good idea, but they are basically afraid to do it because it'll be seen as partisan. So it says, yes, we can do this, but the threats to the court's legitimacy are considerable because they're afraid the public may again begin to see the court as partisan. Also, they say if that happens, it's possible that every president just keep adding justices. And I'm just so tired of Democrats being on defense all the time. You know, between this and the ongoing situation with Mansion and Cinema, it's honestly, it's dropping me up a wall. And I know with Mansion and Cinema, it's, you know, like, wh what are you going to do? But I'm still so sick of us having to do game theory about how the GOP is going to respond and the optics of it instead of just governing. Because the GOP does not do this, so I don't understand why we are. I do not understand. I get optics as part of politics and that Republicans are basically seen as the main characters and the protagonists of the news as of lately. Again, something that's been making me scream. But, you know, it's all about, oh, well, how do the Trump supporters feel? As if Democrats were asked any of that, you know, during the Trump presidency. So, yeah, I, I just do not get it. And I am just, yeah, so disappointed with this report that even the liberals seem to have caved. Yeah. And what's striking to me is they give all these historical accounts of times when the Supreme Court size was changed, right? Uh, there was once a law 
They added a justice for every time that a circuit was added, which there are now 11 circuits plus federal circuit and D.C. circuit, but only nine justices. So, okay, cool example, bro. Yeah, exactly. So just say we're adding a justice for every circuit. And also, I think that we need more circuits, but that's another thing I can scream about. (laughs) And they say every time the court was expanded, it was to address institutional and political concerns. So again, there's historical precedent for this. And then they just say, nah. So in 1801, Congress reduced the size from six to five to happen after the next justice left. So the Federalist Party did that to block Thomas Jefferson from making an appointment. But then when Thomas Jefferson's party, the Democratic Republicans won, they made it six again. So then Lincoln also added a justice, obviously, because there are concerns because of the Dred v. Scott decision that his anti-slavery agenda would then fail. So Lincoln added a 10th justice, but then he was assassinated and his vice president, Andrew Johnson, became president. So then Congress said, oh, never mind, we're going to make it to seven again because Johnson hated Reconstruction, as we know, um, actively set it up to fail, and that they were afraid that he would obstruct any efforts with any nominees that he had. But then in 1869, they increased it back to nine once President Grant was in charge, and it has not been changed since. Yeah, and, and then again, there's discussion of FDR's 1937 court expansion attempt, but then it was abandoned and never came up again. Yes. So in 1937, FDR wanted to expand the court, obviously, because his New Deal programs kept getting struck down. But he also said publicly that he wanted younger justices. And also he felt like they needed more justices, which is also valid. But really, it was because, you know, New Deal programs kept getting struck down. And his plan was that he would appoint a new justice for every justice over 70 years old who did not retire within six months for a total possible 15 members. I like that plan. (laughs) Yeah, it it is kind of bonkers, but, you know, it, it, it was a plan. He said he wanted more justices, again, to take on these more cases, and he wants younger justices. And FDR, again, like I said, but also wanted his New Deal programs to stop getting struck down. And the report even notes that there seems to be some idea that the public believed FDR went too far, but the report even notes that that's not really the case. It's not like they had people marching in the streets being like, no, expand court you know and it really um the report says that it was the senate judiciary not recommending it although i think that gives that commission a little bit too much credit to that committee um i can see why the committee might want to give a lot of credits to committees um but (laughs) they obviously are fans but it also says you know there were people of his own party that were against it i mean you could say the same for the democrats today but it also notes that the court got in line like they did start approving more of fdr's programs and letting him have more leeway with the new deal and that is what is so frustrating to me because this court has it's shown no attempt to get in line essentially or to not act as anything but partisan hacks yeah no, never, which isn't saying SCOTUS has to agree with the president all the time, but it has taken blatantly far right wing, blatantly political positions. It is a tool of the right wing now, uh, funded by dark money. Uh, Trump has appointed a third of the Supreme Court. He never got the popular vote and only served one term. He was twice impeached. And the conservatives recently appointed, uh, they're all originalists, which is really a fringe legal view. And they don't apply it consistently either. No, because it's made up and the points don't matter, only the decision, <laughs> you know. And that That's exactly what that is. And I'm so deeply disappointed because the court, again, it needs to be expanded across the board. You know, district court uh, judges need, are needed, appellate 
level, SCOTUS level, and there's just not enough judges. Like I've had motions sit for months. And I mean, I know part of that is because of COVID and civil cases are obviously taking a back burner, but also, you know, there it's, it's insane that there's, you know, so many, much more litigation now. Also regarding SCOTUS expansion, SCOTUS again has not been expanded since 1869. And the basis for basically increasing the court as kind of the country grew and they added more circuits was, you know, the country's changing. So to give some context, in 1869, there were over 39 million people. In the census of 2020, there are nearly 332 million people. So the country has drastically increased. So it's obvious that it needs to be expanded. It's crazy that we still have just nine. And it's changed on its face, too. Um, It's, you know, we're a very, we're a much more diverse country now. And uh, it's so obvious that our court does not just need to be expanded because of political reasons, which exist. uh, But also there's institutional reasons, just as the report stated, has been the case. Every time the number has changed, that's been the case. Um, Let's talk about the term limits aspect. The term limits most talked about here are 18-year terms for SCOTUS justices. Each president gets two appointments every two years. But the report isn't sure how to do this with statute or constitutional amendment. Yes, that's a whole legal sidebar to get into. And but basically, yeah, but again, essentially, it's them saying, oh, well, I don't know, but it sure would be a good idea. And I'm actually for expanding the court more so than term limits. Term limits, I see as more of a long term solution. But the house is on fire right now. So you know, we got to get up and start moving out the door. So but I am open to it. Yeah, and it's kind of easy for the commission to, you know, scream, you know, uh, term limits, term limits, when it's something that either probably has a highly un- unlikely chance of getting done because it might require a constitutional amendment, while being sort of, you know, kind of bearish on on the whole um, ex- court expansion thing, because that's just a Congress thing. You don't need a constitutional amendment for that. So it's it's easy to scream, like, for stuff that's probably not possible. Uh, But it appears as though, you know, talking about term limits, is Biden against that? Yes, he is. And it actually should not really be a surprise to people. He said this during the primaries that he would not support term limits for Supreme Court justices. And, you know, and I mean, I would like it if he probably change his mind. Again, I'm open to it. I'm not married to the idea of one way or another. Harris uh, said that she was open to it. But again, kind of like me, not married to it one way or another. Actually, only Delaney, Beto and Andrew Yang in the primary said that they would support term limits and they all specifically supported 18 year term limits. Yang specifically said 18 year term limits and appointments every two years, which is what the report talked about. And justices who left before their term would was up basically if they die or they decide to retire before that time, they would be filled by the current Supreme Court justice nominee process. So I found that very interesting. And I think people are more receptive to that idea of term limits for Supreme Court justices. You know, we hear about term limits for members of Congress, things like that. But of course, it's going to get spinned by Fox that Biden hates old people. Oh, yeah. I mean, Fox is going to spin. That's what they do, (laughs) kind of regardless of what Biden does. Uh, But I do wonder, why the two conservatives resigned from the commission? Was this because the commission wants to address the criticism and perhaps take more a more optimistic tone? Lawrence Tribe, uh, who we know well on this show, said, quote, I think that I think a report that pours cold water on the one clearly legitimate exercise of congressional power to respond to a major jurisprudential trend would be a report I would have trouble signing. Yes. So I'm wondering what this final report will be, especially in light of those two leaving. 
But um, again, I think maybe it might be that the commission was open to this criticism and said, oh, we need to you know, address that. And now two conservatives have left because they don't want to address it. That's completely possible. But I think there is enough evidence to expand the court and go for it. And, you know, public opinion be damned on some things you have to govern. And one third of this country is going to hate Biden no matter what he does. So govern and go for it. Yeah, that's true. And we'll see if the final report differs any or if this is the end of the road for SCOTUS reform or expansion. And um, that is what we have to say about this report. I really, I really liked Southpaw's take on this on Twitter. If you get a minute to read it, I, I recommend uh, checking it out. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about new guidance for ICE from the Department of Homeland Security. And I think you're going to like it. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison. And today's episode of Cleanup on Aisle 45 is brought to you by Feels CBD. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel like stress and anxiety and pain, which is all great when it's not there. And keeping a clear head, too, and feeling great, it's easy with feels. Uh, with no hangovers or addictions. I love it. If you haven't tried CBD, I highly recommend it. Feels CBD is safe and organic and has helped me sleep better. It's reduced my anxiety and it's lessened soreness and pain in the mornings, especially. Just put a few drops of feels under your tongue and you can feel the difference within minutes. I feel calmer. My muscles are less sore after workouts now. And my mood is lifted. It's elevated. And I can fall asleep more easily at night. Deliveries are hassle-free and delivered directly to your door without a prescription needed. Call their free CBD hotline for assistance to find the right CBD dose for you. That's great. Who, who can you call? You can call their CBD hotline. The Feels Monthly Membership makes self-care simple. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel any time. So start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com cleanup, and you'll get 50% off your first order. That's half off your first order and free shipping. That's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot slash cleanup. Cleanup is all one word. Go there to become a member and get 50% off automatically. And that's amazing on your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash cleanup. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. Morgan, I'd like to talk about something that went way, way underreported this past week, and that's new policy on workplace raids by ICE, issued by the Secretary of Department of Homeland Security, that completely transforms how we treat immigrants. Uh, a three-page memo, just three pages, issued October 12th by Alejandro Mayorkas, marks a monumental change of course, altering the way undocumented people have been treated in the workplace for nearly four decades. The memo immediately halts immigration rates on workplaces and calls on enforcement agencies to instead focus their efforts on unscrupulous employers who exploit the vulnerability of undocumented workers. It also directs the federal immigration agencies to develop plans to protect workers who come forward with allegations of abuse or exploitation by employers. Wow. And, and not only does this guidance shift the focus of immigration enforcement away from individual workers and onto employers... But it, it goes further, doesn't it? Yes. It also asks agencies to provide overt protections for undocumented employees who report abusive workplaces. It's actually the first time since Congress passed immigration reform measures back in 1986 that a presidential administration has actually explicitly directed immigration agencies in this way. Yeah, that's big. And further, the memo requests that Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services and Customs and Border Patrol develop and present plans in the next 60 days that would, quote, alleviate or mitigate the fear that victims of and witnesses to labor trafficking and exploitation may have regarding their cooperation with law enforcement in the investigation and prosecution of unscrupulous employers. Uh, but but 
hasn't, I mean, putting the onus on employers, that concept has been around for a long time, right? Yes, it has been. In 1986, Congress's immigration reform made it technically illegal for employers to knowingly hire undocumented workers. But because immigration enforcement efforts remained focused on workers and failed to provide robust worker protections, undocumented people remained in the federal crosshairs. And since then, businesses have mostly eluded consequences for those hiring practices. Exploitive employers have gotten away with withholding wages and other more severe abuses using the threat of deportation against potential whistleblowers, which is just awful. Yeah. So if you don't protect the workers, the employers are still going to win. And that's what makes this change, I think, so transformative. The American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations, AFL-CIO, that's the largest federation of labor unions in the United States, applauded this administrative move. Department of Homeland Security, they say, has taken an important step to ensure that immigration enforcement supports rather than interferes with the effective enforcement of laws meant to protect all workers in this country. Uh, But we've tried to shift this focus before, right? I mean, this isn't the first time a, a, a Democrat has said, let's take it off of the workers and put it on the employers. Yes, this would not be the first time. The Obama administration actually halted workplace raids, but its guidance was way less sweeping. It stopped short of implementing protective systems for workers to report abusive employers. Under Obama, audits of work sites also continued, resulting in the deportation of workers. Of course, the Trump administration increased that number in scope of workplace raids. In 2019, ICE oversaw the largest raid in history in Mississippi, detaining 680 undocumented workers at six chicken processing plants across the state on a single day. While four executives from those plants were also later indicted on a variety of charges, including harboring and wire fraud, business owners have for the most part evaded punishment. And I think that the workers should not have ever been punished in that case. And I also completely support abolishing ICE, but this is in the right direction, at least. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's big, right? Because it's not just taking, you know, putting the putting the onus to follow the law on the employer's. But it's offering those protections uh, to the workers. If they, you know, if you want to report waste, abuse, fraud, exploitative practices, you know, we will protect you. And that I think it's amazing news. We have to keep in mind it's not codified, so we have to keep electing Democrats <laughs> to keep it in place. <laughs> so everyone, please vote. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You always got to keep voting. You can't just, you know. Be like, all right, I did it. Now I can go. Like, you know, Carl Sagan in The Simpsons. You can't be like, but you didn't even do anything. And then you just disappear. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah, please keep keep electing Democrats. All right. We'll be right back with the latest on SB8 and a coming and going. Just one. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. Today's episode of Clean Up on L45 is brought to you by the good people at Policy Genius. A while back, I wanted to get rid of my USAA because they kept advertising on Tucker Carlson. So I used Policy Genius and it was incredible. You can protect your property from mischief this spooky season with the right home and auto coverage. Policy Genius makes it fast and easy to compare home and auto rates and policies all in one place. They can help you find coverage similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. Policy Genius has saved customers an average of $1,250 a year over what they were paying for home and auto insurance. I saved a bundle. So whether you're setting up a new policy or switching your old one, their team at Policy Genius will handle all the paperwork. They'll do all the heavy lifting. And getting started is easy, too. Visit PolicyGenius.com, answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property, and Policy Genius will do the rest. They'll compare rates from America's top insurers like Progressive and Allstate, and they'll find you the lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team can look for ways to save you more money, too, including bundling your home and auto policy. And if they find a better rate than what you're paying now, they'll switch you over for free. 
Their top-notch services earn PolicyGenius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. So head to PolicyGenius.com to get started right now. PolicyGenius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Welcome to C-Block. So let's talk about SB8 updates. Uh, Justice Department, headed by Merrick Garland, just want to remind everyone, filed a petition today urging the Supreme Court to block a Texas law that bans most abortions in the state, even before women know they're pregnant, <laughs> while the legal challenges go forward, right? They want to say, just but just block the law while we litigate this shit. Uh, the brief states how the law bans abortions after six weeks of pregnancy, overturns half a century of precedent, so it should be struck down in the interim, right? This isn't just a request to adjoin. It's also a, like a kind of a asking for a writ of uh, certiorari. Yes. So a t- district court in Texas had actually halted the law, said basically while this is being litigated, this can't go forward. But then that decision to um, halt that law was then appealed to the Fifth Circuit, which is not a good circuit for these kinds of cases. I will say that the Fifth Circuit, that is going to be Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas. They said that the law could proceed. And now the Department of Justice is asking for SCOTUS to halt it in their own case. So there's two cases going on. There's the case with the DOJ and there's the case with the providers. So the DOJ is asking for the court to also consider the constitutionality of a law and add that to the docket of cases it plans to hear this year as well, which would allow them to skip going going back into the Fifth Circuit in December to hear arguments, because we know this is going to end up before the Supreme Court anyway, right? And we also know SCOTUS is already hearing Dobbs, um, the Mississippi case. So this would be another case in that realm that SCOTUS could hear. Yeah. And this was one of the this was by design by the Justice Department, why they didn't file a, try to file a restraining order and why they wanted it to be enjoined. And now why they're asking to for, for a writ. So we know that before the infamous shadow docket ruling that SCOTUS let the law just go into effect by essentially just doing nothing. And that was a case that was brought by the providers. Now we have breaking news because last month. The providers asked the court to look at their case again and asked to have that consideration expedited. And that is a different thing that we're talking about. But that expedition was granted. So now Texas's response to the case by the providers and the case by the Department of Justice are due on the same day, which is noon Tuesday, uh, Thursday, excuse me, tomorrow. Yes, uh, that's quite the deadline. I would not enjoy it if I were, (laughs) um, you know, having it's basically when you have two big tests on the same day. Um, but on a similar subject, so I guess I, I guess that's hard. I really don't care because I hate what Texas is doing here. Yes, yeah, so in the Department of mm-hmm. Justice brief, the DOJ say they are the feds, so they do not have to overcome the same kinds of procedures and processes that a private litigant like the providers are going to have to go through. And they are bringing the suit, they say, also on behalf of the rights of pregnant women because pregnant women cannot sue under SB8 because the law is targeting providers. But we all know, of course, it is targeting pregnant people by making everyone be so afraid of litigation that they do not provide abortions or any related services because then they're just going to start turning people away and saying, hey, I'd love to give you an abortion, but like, I'm afraid I'm going to get sued. So yeah. Mm -hmm. That's where we are now. Yeah, and they and they that was on purpose, and they've said as much because the women can't bring suit because they aren't the ones who have harm, uh, at least from the vigilante law perspective. And they tried to make it so that you know you can't sue Texas because it's not Texas that's doing it; it's the vigilantes. So we we'll have to see if this if Supreme Court overturns the law for now. Or if they'll hear substantive arguments on this uh, in this term uh, rather than later. It's all a big mess. And I don't like it. 
Nothing about it's great. <laughs> Reform, but that's my professional. That's my professional opinion. I'm, I don't like it. <laughs> uh, but you know, meanwhile, Morgan, here we are batting this back and forth, and lives hang in the balance. Constitutional rights and their lives and their health care and their well being hang in the balance as this gets bat- batted back and forth. It's disgusting. It is, and that's why they're trying to again. The battle over enjoining it is so. Um, is so hard right now because it is it's life or death for a lot of people and who are trying to get abortions and trying to get health, access to health care and there are people that are afraid and also i'm i'm assuming also the gop is probably thriving off of this kind of confusion right you know is the law in effect is it not you know that's only going to benefit them so it's all by design and it's absolutely gross it's just fuck yeah the people and if scotus addresses it <laughs> If SCOTUS addresses it, because the Fifth Circuit didn't, uh, I'll, I'll be interested to hear what they have to say about at least the supremacy clause and the interstate commerce stuff, because, I mean, all of the abortion clinics, I shouldn't say all, there's only four in Oklahoma, <laughs> uh, but, you know, abortion clinics in, in neighboring states are uh, being inundated with requests for abortion because Texas isn't doing them. Yes. Uh, and of course, well. the Texas has responded by saying, no, actually, that helps interstate commerce. So, you know, I'm, yeah, it's, it's the grossest arguments you could make. It's literally like the, imagine the worst debate kid you ever knew, <laughs> uh, like Ben Shapiro. And it's him basically being like, actually, your honor. Mm, actually, it's making money. Those Oklahoma abortion clinics should be happy because you're making more money now. Oh, my God. Okay, that's not really how interstate commerce works. Uh, All right. Um, Next up, we do have comings and goings, and I'm very excited about this. The U.S. Senate on Monday voted to confirm Gustavo Gelpi to serve on the first U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, clearing the way for him to become the second Puerto Rican to ever sit on the Boston-based appellate court that hears cases from that territory. Of course, the Democratic-controlled Senate voted 51 to 42, very narrow margins, to elevate uh, Gelpi, uh, who is a federal district court judge, to a seat on the First Circuit, despite Republican objections to his criticism of the U.S. Supreme Court's insular cases from the 1900s. Hmm. Uh, Those rulings were instrumental in defining the legal status of Puerto Ricans and endorsed the notion that people of newly acquired U.S. territories could receive different treatment than citizens living in the United States. Morgan, conservatives hate that. They really do. They they hate it when people have rights. It makes them so angry. But um, yeah, this, this I think is a good move and it shows Biden's broader, um, you know, which I know you've talked about on previous episodes, Biden, you know, appointing people who do come from these diverse backgrounds and appointing them to the bench. We know that last week, you know, appointing people who have been public defenders and people who have worked in those offices and black women and, you know, other people of color. And it's really encouraging to see this, you know, this reflection of basically the population being represented on places like the court, which uh, I'm hoping will soon, you know, maybe SCOTUS will catch up. But, uh, you know, as we've discussed, we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, it's very exciting to see see this kind of this kind of motion happen. Now, I wish it was, you know, a far wider margin than, you know, 51 to 44, however much it was. But um, obviously some people abstaining from the vote there. But again, it's it's still exciting to see. But it just shows how narrow, right, that majority is. Yeah, I think it was a 42. There were a bunch of people missing or didn't vote or abstentions. I haven't looked at the at the vote uh, roll yet. But apparently it was those conservatives who hated the fact that Gelpi, who's 55, said that those early racist rulings 
had racist underpinnings. And they absolutely <laughs> did. They just happened to affect yeah. Puerto Ricans and people in Guam and, you know, indigenous communities. Yeah, they, they just so happened to target those people. People who live in, you know, Wisconsin or whatever, you know, they're fine. But yeah, it's it's mm. obviously, it's so blatant, these uh, yeah early 1900s, which I love how they're all pretending, oh, we didn't have racist policy in the early 1900s. Like, what, what are you talking about? Read anything from the early 1900s. It's atrocious. But um, yeah, here's a quote. Here's a quote from one of those rulings that that Gelpie said had racist underpinnings. Here's a quote. Quote. Uh, oh, wait. The, the territories like Puerto Rico, quote, were inhabited by alien races differing from us in religion, customs, laws, methods of taxation and modes of thought. Yeah, Unquote. that is super racist. Like any, and when I said read anything, I meant any court opinion from the early 1900s. These were the same people who were upholding things like eugenics and horrible things like that. So, you know, maybe maybe it's good that we question and we revisit those kinds of decisions because they, you know, were were based off of the, that kind of horrible line of thought. Yeah, and back in July, Chuck Grassley uh, said. Uh, he cr- he criticized Gelpie for taking quote the remarkable step of calling the Supreme Court cases wrongly decided, and calling for their overturning, which is about to happen in Roe v. Wade. <laughs> he, I think it was, I want to say it was Chuck Grassley. I believe wasn't he the one who uh, said to a Korean American nominee for some I can't remember what yeah. position it was, but t- told her that she was a credit to her people. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a mess. I, I don't want to hear yeah. Chuck Grassley's opinions on anybody who is a minority, quite frankly. And uh, it seems like he, yeah, is just awful every time about that. But uh, we'll have to see how, um, if we get more of these diverse um, people appointed to these different jobs like courtships. And as we've explained, that we it's very important that we have a we have judges that reflect the population. Yeah. Otherwise, you get situations like SCOTUS. Yeah, and speaking of SCOTUS, on November 9th, they are expected to hear arguments in a case that could give the justices an opportunity to roll back or even overturn those insular cases. Do you think they will? I I don't know, because again, it's like the thing of, um, I think that they're going to curb it back, but I think it's going to be something, we've seen this trend with Roe v. Wade, right, where instead of them just striking the whole thing down, they've been chipping at it, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that they may have a kind of a non-committal ruling because again i don't know how much they are taking seriously the court reform calls i mean based on this past report if i were justice roberts i wouldn't be too worried no no and just I wouldn't do either. whatever i want but so it is very much in danger yeah and i would say that but i am wondering if we're just going to have a chipping back as opposed to a full overturning of roe v wade but we also know you know the court's different than it was in the past right mm-hmm. we have amy coney barrett on there who is dying to be, you know, for women's rights to write the opinion that overturns Roe v. Wade, because that's the world we live in now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see. But this is why it is important to, like we said, keep voting and being aware of what's going on. Yeah. And the, the case that's coming up, by the way, that they're hearing on November 9th, it, it concerns whether Congress unconstitutionally denied supplemental security income benefits to Puerto Ricans. Um, or residents of Puerto Rico, I should say. Uh, Joe Biden so far has made 53 judicial nominations. Democrats have been rushing to confirm them, 
while they maintain their narrow control of the Senate to shape the judiciary and bring greater diversity to the bench, as you said. Gelpi is the sixth of Biden's 13 appellate nominees to win Senate confirmation so far. Biden's been seeking to use his nominations to bring greater personal and professional diversity to the bench. And with Monday's vote, Biden will have secured the confirmation of five judges with experience as public defenders, further diversifying the federal bench, right? Because a lot of times it's judges and prosecutors. Um, and, you know, things, things like that. But this is the fifth public defender. Yes. So that's also uh, a little bit of a, a difference there. Galpi graduated from Suffolk University Law School, served as a federal public defender in Puerto Rico from 1993 to 97, went on to work in the Puerto Rico Department of Justice and served as a territory solicitor general. He then worked at a law firm, as they all end up having spending some time at a law firm, McConnell Vladez, till he was appointed in 2001 to work as a federal magistrate judge. Senate confirmed him to serve as a district court judge in 2006. So that's who we've got coming to the first circuit. He's got a impressive resume. And as for the case on November 9th, I think that it might, it we might have a chance of having that overturned. I think so, because um, Gorsuch has been weirdly, like he is very kind, more willing to hear out those kinds of arguments, particularly about Indian rights. So I imagine he would also apply that same logic to these rights of um, people in, I mean, let's be realistic about it, these colonies that we have. Um, mm. So I think that he would be willing to, you know, hear that out. So that is kind of a wild card that we do have in the mix there. We'll see how it turns out. I think we'll know next year. Um, I think that's when decisions come out for, for the fall term next year yeah so we'll see we'll see what happens thank you so much mo for filling in for andrew today while he's gallivanting around europe eating fancy foods and uh on a boat and whatnot yes i know <laughs> i know it's been it's been hard to work i've been like oh, what time is it in spain i don't know if i can email him and sound like it you know because anytime anybody sends you an email at 3 a.m you think someone died or you're talking to a crazy person so that's been fun to figure out and navigate but yeah, I'm sure he's adjusted his, his time expectations being nine hours ahead or whatever he is. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like, I don't I don't think he'll ever come back at this point. But... <laughs> I know, I know, right? It's just like, I decided to live in Spain. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm, this seems really nice. Uh, all right. Well, thank you again, like I said, and thanks to all of our patrons. Uh, we will see you next week. We're going to have a lot more to talk about as things heat up with the January 6th commission, um, as SB8 progresses. Uh, it's going to it's going to get it's going to get mm, I don't want to say worse. It's going to get more complicated before it gets simpler. How about that? Uh, yeah, I can agree there. It's it's going to continue to be wild and we'll just see what what happens. But it, I feel like that's a lot of a lot of it is waiting around to see what happens. But turns out that's where we are now. A lot of holding patterns. Thanks again for your time today. I appreciate it. And everybody will see you next week on Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.